0: So, yeah, today we're talking about vision casting, vision casting 2021. Hey, guys, out on the deck. Um, Proverbs 29, 18, I'm going to read it in the King James Version, because if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. If you break down that verse just into two um, phrases to make note of, the first is this, where there is no vision, the people perish. I think for me, and, I, and not just for me, but I think for those of you who have businesses or for those of you who maybe are trying to strategically plan for your lives, some of you guys are planners, um, one of the frustrations of 2020 was having no idea where we were going and having no idea what life would look like in three months, six months, or a year And so I think there was a sense in which everybody felt a desperate need for change because when there's no vision, the people perish. And whether you talk to um, missionaries or ministry partners or even just people in business trying to figure out, well, what is this coming summer going to look like? A lot of you guys work in or own seasonal businesses, and you're probably still wondering that. Like, what's it going to look like? What are going to be people's expectations? And so in the ambiguity, I think everybody felt a little desperate for some kind of shifting and change in 2020, which I think is one of the primary reasons we saw people changing things that they could control, right? Uh, matter of fact, I read an article a couple months ago that said 2020 saw the most number of shiftings in churches, like people changing churches, than any time in recent history. And I think it's because of this idea where it's like, well, I can control this, and I need some kind of change in my life where I'm going to freak out, Right? That's why people did home renovations and the whole nine yards. See, where there's no vision, the people perish. Churches need vision too. Um, Churches need vision as well. And the second part of that is this, but he who keeps the law is happy, or it's really the word blessed. Blessed. He who keeps the law is happy. So where there's no vision, the people perish. When there's no vision, you get massively frustrated and disappointed and discouraged. But he that keeps the law. So in contrast to that, he who keeps the law is happy or blessed. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is this. It does not mean that we need to come up with clever, witty vision statements. What it means is we need to look at the word of God, at the law for the direction that we should be walking. We don't have to bash our heads against the wall to figure it out because he who keeps the law, who walks in the law, is happy. And so in other words, if you want vision, where do you go? Say it out loud. We're small enough now, you guys can just like yell stuff out. It's one of the advantages of COVID. (laughs) He that keeps the law is happy. So where do you go? You go to the word of God. And so what is the word of God say about your I couldn't hear you in here to yell louder I think she's telling me off out there on the deck but I don't know Here are some clear examples of what it says in the word Habakkuk 2:14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea The earth will be filled not might be filled if you don't mess it up. No, it will be filled with the glory of the Lord. I remember um, going to Indonesia the first time, maybe I guess five years ago, with Matt and Scotty and David, and we we're flying over that ocean, looking down at all the atolls, which are these islands that just, you know, jut up into the uh, kind of bursting forth through the ocean and thinking about that verse. The earth will be filled. Revelation 7, 9, and 10, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so God tells us what the end vision, what the end goal is. What's the end goal from Habakkuk 2.14? The glory of the Lord covering the globe as the water covers the sea. What's the end vision, the end goal from Revelation 7, 9, and 10? I saw a great multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language all worshiping the Lamb. Matthew 24.14, and this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of the kingdom that the king died on a cross and was raised from the dead so that sinners like you could join him. This gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all ethnicities, and then the end will come. And so you don't have to wonder, well, what is God's vision? God's vision is clearly established in the scriptures, and when we keep the law, when we return to what the word of God says, we are blessed because we are actually walking forward in what God desires for us. You follow me? So the Bible gives us God's vision. And what is God's vision? Proclaim the gospel to the whole world, saturating the globe with the glory of God. That is God's vision. That is God's vision. God is not concerned with whether Revolve is the biggest church in New Jersey or the smallest God's vision is that the gospel is proclaimed to the whole world, therefore saturating the globe with the glory of God. That is his goal. And as people of God and as a church of God, which is the people of God, everything we do, everything we think, everything we push must further that end goal. What end goal? That end goal. That is God's end vision. And so it must be your end vision. That's why we pray the way we pray. That's why we give the way we give. That's why we focus on the locations on which we focus. And so that's God's vision. Well, what about God's mission? The mission is how you accomplish the vision. How does God, in other words, expect us to get it done? If that's God's vision, that's his end goal, then what does he expect us to do in order to accomplish it? Well, first and foremost, underscore, put in bold, italicize, highlight, and put in red font. God does the work. God does the work. Jesus said in Matthew six forty four to 45, nobody comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to himself and I will raise them up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In other words, God draws, God teaches, you learn, and you get resurrected by God. God does the work. God does the work. He draws, He convicts, He empowers, He rebirths, He regenerates, He glorifies. That's how God gets it done. Second, God invites us to join him in the work. Like when you're in kindergarten and your school has a Christmas bazaar and your dad gives you $30 so you can buy him a best dad hat and it's printed backwards and sideways and you give it to him back for Christmas, All right, The point is that God is doing the work, but he invites his children to join him in the work. And so what do we do? We look to see where God is already moving, where God is already drawing, where God is already pulling people by His Spirit, and we just show up and join Him. Some of you guys 20, 30 years ago read the Henry Blackaby Experiencing God book. It was really popular in the 90s and the 2000s. That's exactly what he says. Find where God is already at work and join Him. See, God has an end vision to saturate the world with his glory and the gospel. And the plan to do that is his people, which we call the church, his called out ones, his gathering, his ambassadors, his army, the people of God. What does he expect them to do? He says, be witnesses to what you have seen, what you have heard. Spread the word, pass it on, proclaim the gospel. Here's a couple of scriptures, Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Pretty straightforward. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And who does he send? Well, David pointed it out during worship, It says they came to the mountain at which he had directed them and some worshiped them and others doubted. He sends doubters every day. I was thinking about that this past week. The demoniac, naked, chained up, tearing at himself. Jesus casts out all of his demons and throws them to a bunch of pigs. This guy probably needed job skills. He probably needed people skills. He needed some clothes. He needed general things. And what does Jesus say? No, you just need to go. Tell people what the Lord has done for you. I'm pretty sure you're more equipped than the demoniac, assuming you have clothes on right now. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So how is God going to accomplish his global vision through you, through us, going, proclaiming, making disciples, in a word, multiplying, until the whole world hears? Do you realize, I don't have time to go through it, but this is literally, uh, we should call it a doctrine, because it is a doctrine, a doctrine of multiplication. God creates Adam and Eve, he says what? Be fruitful and Multiply. After the ark, what does God say to Noah? Be fruitful and multiply. What does he say after the scattering? Be fruitful and multiply. What does he say to Moses throughout the Torah? Be fruitful and multiply. I will multiply the people. Moses, if you want, I'll start over with you and I will multiply people after you. See, God gives us these real-life metaphors like procreation to teach us spiritual truths. And the spiritual truth is that as we are reborn into a new family, we spiritually procreate. And Jesus says in the Great Commission, be fruitful and multiply until my globe is saturated with the glory of God. Multiplication, spiritual reproduction, making disciples who multiply matters to revolve. More than any other thing we do as a church. Why? Why? Because it matters to God. Listen, multiplication is God's game plan to accomplish his end vision. I'm going to say that again. It seems obvious, but people don't get it. Multiplication of disciples is God's game plan to accomplish his end vision multiplication of disciples, of churches, of leaders, multiplication. You know, if you were going to make a list on a piece of paper of what is a healthy church, I'd be very interested to see what your list would be. I imagine a lot of you would come up with similar things. Church should be a church of prayer, should have good preaching, should be doctrinally sound. They should manage their money financially. It should be a church defined by love. It should be a church that uh, values uh, these sorts of things. You know, shouldn't have a lot of infighting things like that. should be stable, independent. But why is it that so often we leave off the list a church should be making multiplicative disciples so that it doesn't just mean the pastor or the elders are multiplying, but that every other person is multiplying? Because Ephesians chapter 4 says that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry according to the scriptures is multiplication through various means, some through felt needs, through, some through street evangelism, some through lots of different things, but multiplication is the goal. What does that mean for us, for Revolve as a church? Second Timothy 2.2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So let's say that you sat through the hub with me and David or that you've been coming here on Sunday for the last year. You've heard a lot from us in the presence of others. You're hearing in the presence of others right now. And so you need to pass on to other people what you have seen and heard. And so maybe... We taught you at some point in time how to do a discovery Bible study. Maybe you went through this. You need to pass on to other people what you have seen and heard. And you need to pass on to other people what you have seen and heard. And you need to pass on to other people what you have seen and heard. See, God's game plan was to take 12 men to invest in them for three years, really to invest heavily in three people, and rather than investing in uh, 10,000, he invested in 12. He invested heavily in three. He invested not in methodologies or in ministries, but in people who multiply. See, this is why I, just all cards on the table, this is why I have a love-hate relationship with preaching. Gina will tell you. I know it's nice. I like it. You guys are all looking at me. You know what I mean? I go on my YouTube channel. Seven other people look look and listen too. It's great. Okay? But it's not replicable. In other words, if you think the way to make disciples is by preaching, then you're going to feel like, I can't go and preach a 50-minute sermon going through the book of Haggai. It's not replicable. It's good. I'm not saying it's bad. But if you read through the book of Mark with your friends using the Discovery Bible study, and then you have them at the end of six months gather some of their friends and read through the book of Mark using the Discovery Bible study, and then at the end of six months you encourage them to do the same using the Discovery Bible study, the reason we like it is not because it's a silver bullet, but because it's replicable. That's why we like it. That's the reason we like it. It's not that we think it's better than one thing or another. It's replicable for people to do. So let me explain something to you here. If uh, if let's say that Bob and, and Ryan and myself, we gather and we start reading through the the book of Matthew using the Discovery Bible study. And then after the end of three months, I say, hey, Bob, get to your friends, whether they're believers or not believers, start reading the book of Matthew exactly the way we've been doing it, that you hear, obey, and share what you do. And I say, Ryan, do the same thing, and I'm going to find two other guys. And then at the end of three months, the guys who they've been reading it with, they say, hey, go find uh, two friends to d- read the book of Matthew using the Discovery Bible study. Um, and you do that. And so, by the in other words, if we start with three, and then three, and then three, and then three, do you know how many people will have read the, the book of Matthew using the Discovery Bible study at the end of one year? Anybody want to take a guess? 243. That's beginning with three people. 243 people. That's multiplication. Whereas if I lead someone to the Lord every other day this year... It will not be 243 people, and they will not be invested in well. Multiplication, not addition, is what we need to be focusing on. So when do the elders get excited? Well, it's a good first step to be discipled. And it's a great second step to begin pouring into your friends, sharing what you're learning, whether they know Jesus or don't. And it's excellent if your friend begins doing that with his friends. But the goal is to see that continue into deeper generations consistently with the same DNA. And this is what we see in 2 Timothy 2.2. Who are you pouring into? More importantly, who are they pouring into? And do you know who they are pouring into? You know your grandkids. Who are your spiritual grandchildren? This is what I care about. This is what we aim for. This is what we try to equip for. I'm going to tell you a secret. I have a one track mind. I care about making disciples who multiply. That's all I talk about. Christian will tell you. I'll text him at five in the morning. 11 p.m. That's all I think about. It is truly what I focus on. And since at Revolve we don't want to do anything that doesn't serve the vision to see the gospel proclaimed to the whole globe, so the glory of God is saturating the world. We don't do a lot of the things you might expect us to do based upon your understanding of cultural Christianity in America. Truth be told. COVID eliminated some of the things from Revolve that weren't serving that end vision. And we might never boot them back up again. I mean, if this has taught us anything, it's that you really don't need a lot. We actually need less than we have right now. We're a single-issue organization, Disciple Multiplication. And so the things that we do serve that end goal. Fostering spiritual vitality. In other words, how to read the word, how to pray. Why? Because we want healthy multiplication. Because there's bad forms of multiplication like cancer. We want healthy multiplication. So spiritual vitality is important. Um, discipleship groups, simple communities where you should learn to hear, obey, and share together. Did you know that the single greatest variable in multiplication is is not, so stop saying it, whether or not you're equipped. Did you know that statistically, and I can point to research that proves this, whether you have a one-day training or a 24-month internship, statistically, the person leads the same amount of people to the Lord and multiplies them. Do you want to know what the single greatest factor is statistically? Whether you are part of a team that is committed to disciple-making together, holding accountable, encouraged, praying for one another. That is the single greatest factor in whether or not you will multiply in your life. I'm not talking about being in a Bible study together. I'm talking about in a team of people, a group of friends, a discipleship group maybe, that focuses on, on praying together over the sole purpose of multiplication. And when you do that together, you find that you love one another, and you find that you encourage one another, and you find that your community grows because you're like a band of brothers in the trenches together. The hub or boot camp or training center Why does that matter? Because multiplication isn't nearly as complicated as we assume it is, and everybody from a child to a senior should be able to do it. And doctrine? Because we want to equip you with tools to know how to grow for life. Because we aren't just supposed to grow old together, we're supposed to mature up together. And so in 2021, we're going to just keep circling back to these core ministries because this is how we keep moving the ball forward. You see, as elders, we exist to equip you to love God, love people, make disciples, and teach others to do the same. And if we can keep it simple and basic like that, it will multiply faster because simple things grow and simple things multiply. And that's why we have things like the trifold, and that's why we have things like this big blue rack card, which we couldn't make any bigger. And so you need to ask the Lord for wisdom for what you need to keep moving forward this year. So that we can come alongside you. So that we as a church can keep walking forward towards the end vision, which is saturating the globe with the glory of God by spreading the gospel. You see, there are a whole lot of church things that fall outside of that focus. And although they may be nice, chances are we won't do them. Because this is what we want to focus on. So what we're actually gonna do now we're gonna have fifteen minutes. If the elders would come back in, we actually have some questions that I wrote and we just wanted to have the elders have a time of just kind of responding to those questions for the next fifteen minutes or so. So elders wanna come in and or come forward. And so I just wrote down a couple questions with these guys, and what I'm going to do is read some of these questions and then just give them a chance to respond or, or react or share something that's on their heart after listening to this, uh, this sermon. I thought David was waving at me for a second. I was like, Dave, I'm right here. <laughs> I was looking. I was waving to some of the members of my community. Yeah. All right. So... Um, I don't know how you what you guys had on your mind in terms of obviously I'm not going to list read all of these questions, um, but maybe uh, I'll list a couple questions and maybe you guys can respond to it. Does that sound good? So thinking about God's vision and the state of the world, why is what Revolve is doing so crucial for us to take seriously? Or maybe, you know what did you learn about church this year in 2020 that will help us move forward in 2021? As you think about what God wants to do, what we should be doing, what are some things that come to your mind?
1: Um, my, my name's Steve. By the way, um, just in, in case some of you may not know me, um, this is uh, Dave, and this is Christian. Christian was referenced in Bill's sermon. Uh, Dave was as well. Breton and I were not. Um, so we need to work a little bit harder. Uh, this this is Breton. Uh, so one of the one of the things that I was thinking about in relation to the question that um, Pastor Bill asked was. Um, I, I was drawn to the, the story of Mary and Martha, and um, I'm sure many of you know that story. I think it's in, uh, in the end of Luke chapter 10, where, where basically um, um, Jesus appeared to the home of Mary and Martha and uh, their brother, Lazarus. They were uh, very good friends, um, and Mary was worshiping at the feet of Jesus Well, Martha was very, very busy um, organizing and administrating and serving and cooking and delegating. And she became actually upset with her sister because her sister wasn't helping. And she came to Jesus and basically asked Jesus to be her advocate in order to get Mary to be more involved uh, and to relieve some of the burden. And uh, the answer that Jesus gave was, Martha, Martha, um, there are so few things that are really important and really only one, and Mary has chosen the better path to sit at the feet and worship. And I, I thought about that because as a church, we are, we are constantly reminded of uh, priorities and choices. And sometimes it's not a matter of whether we focus on the good Versus the bad, but rather the good versus the goodest, <laughs> you know, the the best versus the better, um, and and sometimes uh, we need to be reminded of what we heard this morning, um, because we may say no to some things so that our vision would would be clear, and and really this year has helped us to understand uh, that. Um, uh, some things are really crucial for us. We're here together. We're gathering together. We're hearing the word. We're praying together and really worshiping together. And that is, uh, that is really what is the best. And uh, so one of the things I learned this year was to be focused on, on really what is the highest priority. And we hope to be continuing to do that.
0: See, I didn't have to mention Steve because he summed up for the whole team. (laughs) All right, so talk to us, Christian, about why being part of a discipleship relationship is a non-negotiable for every believer. And if you could convince every person here to do one or two things this year, what would it be?
2: I think the first point is, is that God commands us to be discipling, right? Matthew 28, that's what Dave mentioned first thing in the morning is Is how we are commanded to be in discipleship or di- making disciples in that relationship. The second point is, is that we are to, you know, one of the things we emphasize is how we are to connect with God's community and God's mission. And so through discipleship, that naturally happens. And so... um one of the things that Pastor Bill had mentioned, uh, the second point was Second Timothy 2.2, where we want to find men that we can faithfully entrust this good news so that they can then pass it on. And so that's why it is so essential for us to be di- naturally discipling others, is because when we do that, it is then being faithfully passed on to others. And so I'm not going to have a long drawn out answer like Steve, because he's oh, not- <laughs> he he's much more intelligent than me. I was trying to say it nicely.
0: <laughs> good good save, Christian. <laughs> and and. You know, we, we are quoting 2 Timothy 2.2, um, where it says, entrust faithful men. We don't think that it should only be men. I just want to clarify that so nobody gets the wrong idea. You know, this is, the language they use refers to people. So you should entrust faithful people who are going to disciple other people. Um, I'll just read a couple more of these questions, and then these other guys can share. What's one thing you wish you had understood about Revolve's DNA five years ago? And what do you want everyone in this room to understand about Revolve, who we are, and why we do what we do? Or what is something that you know that you and Revolve need to grow in this year if we're to walk forward in this vision? David or Bretton? I'll take it.
3: Um, I think the big thing that I would want people to know that I have learned over the last three or four years is we've done a, we've made it a a very concise effort to train people to be disciple makers. And I feel 80% of, uh, 85% of this room is equipped in making disciple makers. But I think um, the bigger thing, and if you've taken the hub class, uh, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. We talk about making Shema statements. If you've been through the class, you know it. If you haven't, well, your spiritual statements. But the, the first part of that is to love the Lord your God. And that desire to make disciples who make disciples is birthed out of a love for God. And um, I feel like um, if there's anything I would have learned over the last five years is I can equip you, and teach you how to do a Discovery Bible study, how to prayer walk, how to do the one-hour prayer wheel. But if you're not falling in love with Jesus more and more every single day, those tools are are pointless. So, um, And it becomes Phariseeism. Is that a word? I was going to say pharisaical. 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 Thank you. And um, so... You know, just fall in love with Jesus more and more every day, and it's like when you have, you know, a new baby, you're going to show everybody the pictures of your new baby because you love that baby, and um, so, yeah. Anybody? Just say whatever you want. Just say whatever,
4: yeah. I'll be the black sheep, too. I guess it's fitting. It's like almost a visual black sheep, (laughs) plus it keeps the mystery, so. Um, Yeah, there's no mystery, I'm really hiding my true self. No, um, uh, These guys are probably sick of hearing it, but uh, there's a, a book I read by Tim Keller, who is a pastor in, in New York City called Center Church. And in uh, a portion of that book, he talks about the idea that um, in the, the chapter, the context is church planning. So it's the idea that church planning, uh, multiplication, is what kind of keeps the the life and vitality going in a church. Because when a church hits 10 years, which... Um, If you know Revolve's history, this year, 2021, is our 10 year uh, anniversary of planning. Churches naturally just tend to focus inward. They lose that outward missional drive that they first had when they planted, um, just because statistically, I guess it's you've become established, you start caring about things that most churches are supposed to care about according to the culture. Um, And so we're, like I said, we're hitting. That point, And so this Vision Sunday is super critical because we need to make sure we then fight against that. Because just like if you're not using your muscles, you begin to lose them quicker and quicker as you age. This is something that our church is now aging. Um, and so if we're not very careful about maintaining that that health, that energy, that stamina in terms of fulfilling the mission that God gives to his church... Uh, we're going to lose it probably very quickly, uh, and we'll get caught up in things that are, are eating up bandwidth that shouldn't be eating up bandwidth. Um, because ultimately, and, and I'm, you know Bill's quoted this a million times before, it was a perfect sermon to do it, but he didn't. John Piper has an amazing quote that says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Uh, and everything Bill said essentially implies that thought that the goal is we want worshipers of God. Like if we, we've we talked about in the doctrine class that really the chapters that we could just focus on are the doctrine of God and the doctrine of worship tied into the fact that we're image bearers. That is our aim. You were created to worship. You were created for worship. You were created worshiping. Um, and so we want to see people worship God because that's what they're created to do. And so, yeah.
0: Okay. So anybody have questions or Comments, if we left something out or something's unclear? I mean, you can feel free to just talk because we're shrinking every week. (laughs) What do we do after this sermon? Um, What we're going to do in the next week is we're going to give some sign-ups for trainings, okay? And I really would encourage you guys, if you are already trained and you don't know where to begin, you need to go back and start praying through your social circles, where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play, and you need to start asking God to show you who you should be inviting into a discipleship relationship. They don't have to know the Lord. It could be people who do not yet know the Lord, or it could be people who do know the Lord, but they're not mobilized or growing, okay? I would strongly encourage you when you find those kinds of people to, one, let us know so that we can provide ongoing coaching and to invite them to begin reading the word together. I'm going to go out on a branch here and hope none of the elders stab me in the back. But if you only have time in your week for one meeting during the week, like in, during, instead of your discipleship group, where you have to choose between your discipleship group or choose between meeting with three friends who do not yet know Jesus, I would rather have you leave your discipleship group and begin meeting with those three friends, okay? Because you're never going to multiply if you don't move. And so it's crucial. Some of you, you could have three meetings a week, right? Your kids are grown, that sort of thing. Those of us with little kids that might not be an option. I'd rather have you choose a discipleship relationship that you're pouring out because you're being poured into here, and then we can pour into you relationally at other time slots. You understand what I'm saying? Other questions, comments? I didn't get stabbed. (laughs) (laughs) Questions, comments? What did I leave out? Someone's going to come up and be like, you forgot to mention this. Yeah, exactly like uh, Christian said in his video last week and what David said, it begins with loving God. Steve said it begins with being still. If you don't love God, your obedience will just feel like a to-do list. But John says his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome if they're birthed out of love. If they're birthed out of duty and trying to earn favor with God, it will always feel like a backpack of rocks. And so we... Love the Lord our God by connecting with Him relationally, the same way we love our spouses by connecting with them, that sort of thing. Any other questions, comments? I said questions, comments.
1: Um, one of the books that, that we read, we, um, it, it was confirmed, basically the obvious, is that every year people have a less sense of importance of the of the church, uh, a sense of um, the church being relevant to their world. And so one of the reasons why um, Bill and Dave and, and others are involved with the Hub is to equip us to reach people in their world. Years ago, there was a group called the Imperials, and they sang a song called, You're the Only Jesus. And part of the lyric was that... Uh, you are the only Jesus that some people will ever see, and you are the only Word of God that some people will ever read and then they ask the the piercing question so when they look at you uh what will they see? Will they see the one in whom they really desperately need and I think that's that's the challenge today as as the years go forward uh and as uh uh, God tarries and allows us more and more time, we're going to see uh, a greater sense of challenge of ministry being done in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, as Bill said, where you work, where you play, et cetera. Um, years ago, we would think to invite people to church is the end of it. Um, And I think right now we believe that it's so important to equip us so that we can go out and do the work of ministry.
0: Yeah, that's good. I'll leave you with this final thought Um, based off what Steve just said. Years ago, you would invite your friends to church. You know, in the Revolutionary War, do you remember the way they used to fight? Anybody remember? They would just line up and take turns shooting at each other. Um, It was also in the Revolutionary War that they began using different tactics because they realized that was stupid, okay? (laughs) And what they started doing more, what we would call guerrilla warfare, right? Which was uh, little pockets, little skirmishes, as opposed to just getting in a line and shooting at each other. I think it's safe to say that the time period of the effectiveness of the invitation is done. Evangelism is not invitation. Evangelism is you telling your friends what the Lord has done in your life. It's you proclaiming the good news. Will you still, you know, get some people doing that? Absolutely. The same way you'll still shoot some people if you line up in a row and fire at each other. But it's not nearly as effective and it's not nearly as, um, as trainable to teach someone, well, no, you just got to stand there and not move. That's hard, as opposed to teaching people to do things in little skirmishes. We need guerrilla warfare right now. And that's what we are. We're the soldiers of God. I know it's not politically correct, but that's the metaphor the scriptures use. You are God's army to accomplish his purpose. And he's the Lord who commands armies, the Lord of hosts. And so let's pray that God would really give us clarity, specifically, uniquely, what he's calling you to do. Father God, I pray for these people. They're your people. They're not my people. God, I can't cause them to grow. The elders can't force them to do anything. You are the good shepherd, not us. We are under shepherds, hired hands. Father, would you... Shepherd your people. Would you lead them? Would you equip them? Would you guide them? Would you convict them? Would you empower them? Would you fill them? Because you command us to be that prophetic voice that keeps shouting. But we have the complete lack of any ability to do anything if you don't move. Send your spirit cut through the calluses on our hearts to show us what you're calling us to do, the good works prepared in advance for us to do that we might walk in them. Lord, let this be a year of viral multiplication, not of COVID-19, but of the gospel of Christ spreading to the ends of the earth. In your name we pray, amen. Have a great week, okay? we will talk to you guys soon.